0: Last week, we explored the theme of gratitude, partly in relationship to the holiday of Thanksgiving. And most of the people there agreed to follow different kinds of practices to cultivate gratitude in the last week. And how many of you continued with those those practices? Yeah, very very nice. And so we can... Here, you know, when we have discussion, we can hear maybe reports on how, how that was. Uh, how for how many did that really enhance your enjoyment of Thanksgiving? <laughs> and how many of you had very interesting insights occur in, in having that focus on gratitude? Yeah. Again, we can hear hear some of those. Um, maybe, in fact, maybe. Uh, Let me hear from one or two or three people. Can we use the mic? And anyone like to share, maybe just in a sentence or two, uh, an insight that occurred in doing that practice? Do we have another mic on the other side? Is that working? Yes. OK. No. Yes, yes, No, yes, no it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> OK, maybe. <laughs> OK, let's, uh, why don't you say it? I'll repeat it. Okay. This This is working. What? Yeah, if you could uh hmm. gratitude for when the mics are working. Why don't you just just speak, I'll repeat it, and we'll try to get it repaired for when we have discussion. It's probably just the switch is not, not on. Yeah. last week someone had suggested um, if you're doing a journal is when you are going about your day. Yeah. Yeah. Things that you're grateful for. And um, although I don't keep a journal, I think it's going to be one of my New Year's things, I, I did tune in to what uh, little things in my daily, in my day, made me grateful for um, being in the present and for those things that I observe. Yeah, so, so to repeat, the. Uh keeping of a, dream, of a gratitude uh, journal one of, the, one of the ways of uh, practicing gratitude, and that um, keeping of the journal sort of primes one to have one's radar out for moments during the day when there's some kind of gratitude. You may remember the studies I gave, some of you who were here last time, the studies that showed that uh, those who practice gratitude Uh, just a very simple act of keeping a journal uh, it has substantial health benefits they said that that practicing gratitude improves 10 different organs (laughs) and they also found that that when they had a control group versus a a group practicing uh, gratitude just by a uh, gratitude journal that those practicing gratitude through the journal on average had 1.5 hours more of exercise every week (laughs) and so but just that that uh, that tuning in to what one's grateful for really could shift things yeah. Are the mics working now? No. So if you can be brief just a sentence or two that would be better for for my repeating it yeah. Sorry that the lights right there. For me, when I left last week, I had this real felt sense of gratitude for everybody here and the beautiful talk, and that that didn't always occur in just noting gratitude, that sort of like presence, you can create conditions, that a felt sense of gratitude might arise. But it was kind of surprising because I'd be like, oh, I am grateful for that treat, but I didn't necessarily feel it all the time. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was interesting that there's a real felt sense to gratitude which arises yeah and like, uh, all, like all of our practices we bring an intention forth and then different things happen they're insights sometimes it's alive sometimes it's there sometimes it's not maybe one more experience okay It's, like it's sunny over here. So it's, really, it's a great visual. <laughs> Which is usually the formula for a rainbow. <laughs> right. So let me, let's come back later. I think I'm gonna um, we can have some time during the discussion for further comments. But we were we were exploring gratitude partly in relation to the holidays it was also uh, a week ago today was the first day that there was not um, smoke in the whole Bay Area. So there was a lot of gratitude in relation to that. And I think, uh, Chris, was your son was on the front lines up around Paradise, right? And so there, were, there was a lot of uh, fire-related uh, gratitude there. And we were, we were exploring gratitude partly because of the time of the year, but also to really point to a number of practices that are in a sense complementary to what we sometimes think of as our core practices uh, the mindfulness, the development of the heart through loving-kindness, compassion, the cultivation of wisdom and that these practices like gratitude or today I'm going to partly again in relation to holiday complement that by exploring uh, generosity and these are Qualities which sometimes we think of as um, not so significant or I think again a way that um, The West and the United States has really taken in Buddhist practice has been to really focus especially on the meditation sometimes losing very key elements of the of the tradition and I think qualities like uh, gratitude and generosity are very very central there is, there's a line, um, there's a question that, uh, that uh, was asked in the, in the text by Sariputta. He said, uh, how many qualities are there that lead to being a Buddha? How many? How many would you guess? One. One? Twenty-three? <laughs> Fourteen? <laughs> hike? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Well, the answer that in this instance was 10. And this is where (laughs) 10 10 qualities. And these are actually, this is the list of what are called the paramis, or the core qualities or virtues that lead to awakening. And again, like, like our practices, these are qualities that both lead to awakening and also express awakening. You know, and those qualities, uh, the Buddha's answer was there are ten qualities that lead to uh, being a Buddha. And the first he said is generosity. And so this is the list of the paramis. Sylvia wrote a book on this called Pay Attention for Goodness' Sake. Like most of her book titles there's a double entendre. And there's a double meaning. And so Uh, Those qualities are generosity, ethics or sila or or virtue, uh, renunciation, like not grasping so much, wisdom, energy, uh, patience, being truthful in speech and other parts of our life, determination, uh, loving kindness or metta and the last is equanimity. And and so, in in the Buddhist context, generosity is often what one would learn first. Very fundamental quality. In the uh, traditional teachings, when the Buddha was giving the full set of all his teachings, he often would lead with generosity before he went on to the other practices. And it's a it's a very uh, core quality. Uh, now I was thinking of the practices of gratitude and generosity, that they can really be seen as fundamental. You know, if we think of the kind of the diagnosis of the human condition, that the core problems of being human being can be connected with greed, hatred, and delusion. If we if we consider that uh, greed is the grasping on to different aspects of experience, Uh, hatred as the pushing away, the aversion, uh, towards aspects of our own experience, towards particular people, and then uh, delusion as the lack of wisdom, which supports the fact that we grasp and push away as if that would bring us happiness. And it's not hard to see that all of those are very, very alive. In the world, in our society right now, yeah. and um, a lot of them are seem to be just running without any limits at times, right? and so. But when we think of those three dimensions, we can think that generosity, very very directly, works against greed. We can we can we can see that. Uh, I was thinking of. Uh, a class which I co-led uh, with my colleague Diana Winston, which I think I've sometimes talked about here, which was a class that we called uh, Greed Management. Mm-hmm. A very important class. I think the first and only time that's ever been offered in the world, as far <laughs> as I know. We had extensive publicity, two teachers of good reputation, and we had extremely limited enrollment. (laughs) We had two teachers and five participants, but we didn't really care. Maybe by the title, you'd think we weren't in it for the money. (laughs) Um, But we investigated greed for five weeks. It was really, really interesting to see what the nature of greed was. Uh, And there were a lot of insights that we had. We just continually looked at Greed when it arose, we gave the support for each other, and then we had uh, the final. We had a final exam at, on the fifth week. We did uh, 30 minutes of silent walking meditation in the uh, Bed Bath and Beyond store of El Cerrito, <laughs> and compare notes afterwards. And uh, when we when we did that, it was my first time ever at a Bed Bath and Beyond store and had didn't know it and you know I I found myself developing greed for products that previously I did not know existed (laughs) for needs that previously did not know existed but we could watch but importantly we found that what is the nature of greed there's a uh, there was a certain tightness around um, wanting something and and um, when we looked at greed more carefully, we found that uh, when there was greed, not surprisingly, there was self-centeredness. Other people did not matter. In that moment of greed, there was a lack of sense of consequences. I don't care. I want this. So there was a lack of consideration of consequences. So uh, understanding consequences would be part of the wisdom dimension. So you can see how the greed starts getting connected with delusion, right? When there's greed, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not caring for other people. The Consequences don't matter. Often we found there was a sense of privilege or entitlement. So it's really, when, we, when we're cultivating generosity, part of the uh, exploration that we do is to explore what happens when generosity is not there when there's greed. It's like the dynamic of much of our practice. We both cultivate good qualities, beautiful qualities, and we see what's there when those qualities aren't present. That's really the core dynamic of everything we do, whether we're developing mindfulness or a good heart, compassion, generosity, gratitude, we always try to cultivate the quality. We have that intention and then inevitably we fall short at times And we see what gets in the way. We see the conditioning. And we learn more, develop more wisdom. So generosity, in many ways, can really counter that sense of greed. And interestingly, uh, gratitude can also be very much uh, a counter to aversion, and particularly aversion towards um, what's arising in our experience that we can, as we saw last time, we can even have gratitude for when things haven't gone right in our lives. It's sort of an advanced form of gratitude. You know, when we looked at gratitude practice, we saw there were a lot of ways we could do it. We could have a gratitude journal. We could uh, just periodically during the day see what we're grateful for, just have it come to mind. and it could really be done in, in a lot of different ways. A very nice way is to write down on a list things we're grateful for, and then we can look at that list once a day, 10 or 15 minutes, have a big impact. And again, we looked last time at how there can even be gratitude for the hard things in our lives. Maybe not immediately, but we can, when we look more deeply, we can sometimes feel gratitude. I, I wanted to read you a a poem. It's kind of a poem from uh, an autobiography uh, by Billy Mills. Some of you may know Billy Mills. He was the Olympic champion in 1964. uh, I think at 10,000 meters. He was the first U.S. champion. And if you uh, go on YouTube, you can see a really amazing video of his race. And he was also Native American. He was the first Native American... Well, maybe the first Jim Thorpe, I guess, maybe won some medals. I forget, but any case, uh, he uh, wrote a autobiography called New Life, and this is what he said. And listen for this uh, quality of gratitude, even for what was hard. In my youth, I respected the world and life. I needed not anything, but peace of heart. And yet I changed, despite myself, and I believed in Iktumi's lies as sort of the force of negativity in, in native culture. He seemed to know all the truth and promised to make me happy. He made me ask Wakantanka for wealth, that I might have power. I was given poverty so that I might find my inner strength. I asked for fame so that others would know me. I was given obscurity that I might know myself. I asked for a person to love that I might never be alone. I was given the life of a hermit that I might learn to accept myself. I asked for power that I might achieve. I was given weakness that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might lead a long life. I was given infirmity that I might appreciate each minute. I asked Mother Earth for strength that I might have my way. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for her. I was asked to live happily that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might live happily. I received nothing I asked for, yet all my wishes came true. Despite myself and Iktumi, my dreams were fulfilled. I am richly blessed more than I ever hoped. I thank you, Wakantanka, for what you have given me. It's Billy Mills. What was the name of the autograph? New Life. Okay. He, wrote he wrote that? Billy Mills. Yeah, he wrote it. It's, um, it's actually in the, um, he uses the native name, uh, Wokini is the title of the book. So we can see that uh, gratitude can be uh, a response or an antidote to different forms of reactive aversion, including hatred. And we can see that as we go more deeply into uh, generosity and gratitude, we can have greater wisdom. We can see more clearly. You know, I, I was teaching and uh, over three days from Friday to Sunday. I was teaching a three-day non-residential retreat on working with the judgmental mind and also bringing in the work of Byron Katie, which is quite interesting and one of the things that we found is that you know for example the Byron Katie work the invitation is to find a judgment a negative judgment of another person particularly one you might have difficulty with and we worked with that and sort of explored the judgment like it could be just very simple like he's bad a lot of our judgments are of that form he's bad she's bad He's unkind, she's unkind, whatever, they're unkind. And a lot of times when we had, there was a method that's used in the Byron Katie work uh, in which we look very deeply into that belief. We ask questions like, is it true? Do we absolutely know it's true? So we would take something like, "What um, uh, uh, he's an unkind person. We would ask, is it true? And the person would say, yes, that's true do you absolutely know it's true Um, maybe not really right and then uh, how do you what what goes on in your experience when you believe that that's the third question and you say well I feel really tight reactive judgmental that's good to know and then the fourth question was what would you feel like if that belief wasn't there right and it's it's a chance to explore And then a a fifth area as you turn it around you know can you explore is the opposite true you know like am I unkind for example when I'm saying that she's unkind (laughs) right and so or it might be that uh, uh, the turnaround could be uh, um, she thinks I'm unkind (laughs) right and so the, can, you, can you feel how asking those questions loosens up that sense? And we found that a lot of people actually who had difficulties with another person, when they explored it deeply, they actually realized it was an opportunity to learn and that without this other person, they wouldn't be learning qualities like compassion, understanding, and wisdom. Not that the other person is not responsible, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that. but. Uh, but there is actually gratitude coming from these difficult encounters with people. You know, your nemesis, right? Can you get a sense of that? Right. And so, um, generosity is also this core quality that helps us to develop. And again, around this time of year, it can be really emphasized. And what I'll do is I'll talk generally about the nature of generosity, point to a number of ways to practice generosity further, And then we'll have a discussion together. And again, I I would like to say that it's a very crucial quality. Again, we may think of it as more secondary. Uh, Again, we we don't teach it so much here. We give talks about dana, which is the word in the Pali language, mostly in relation to the economics of teaching retreats and so forth. We don't really emphasize generosity so much the the understanding is as a very natural quality of human beings that essentially when we are open and not scared we are generous we see that especially in crises right I think with the fire when and you know there's a there's a book that was done by uh, Rebecca Solnit called a paradise uh, built in hell about natural disasters and some human made disasters like 9-11 and she found that with all those disasters there was just incredible generosity you know in the San Francisco earthquake other earthquakes in other countries 9-11 the fires that generosity just came out you know going against uh, she was partly writing the book because there's a usual sense by many of the authorities that when disasters happen you have to be careful because looters will just come out and be there you know and there's a certain mythology that there's just a large amount of looting sometimes there's some but there's very little and the generosity is much more widespread and I was thinking of a few examples that um, when I was um, uh, about three and my younger brother was just born my mom told me the story that he was there in his crib like about um, you know, a few weeks old or a few months old and I went over at age three and gave him my most prized possession which was a, uh, a toy fire truck and I placed the fire truck in his crib and my mother was both really appreciative but also a little horrified because it was totally filthy. <laughs> I just put him right next to him because he did not have a toy. Right Even though maybe he didn't know what a toy was at that age, but in any case, there's it's sort of a can be a very natural quality, and maybe I have certainly found that in many instances in the spiritual traditions of the world, uh, generosity is very central, and if you listen to this, you'll see that it actually is is right at the heart of what it means to be. A spiritual being to be a good person in those worlds and again i think we've somewhat put it all, a little bit off to the side in the emphasis on meditation and that it really could be could be more central in the in the jewish tradition there's a mandate that one give 10 percent of one's income it's been there for a long time and that uh, that would be to take care of the needy and that's been there a long time when i i know when i was studying where my own ancestors came from I I learned that there were you know my uh, mother's side came from Lithuania Jewish community there and there there were a lot of poor people there and there was just a very very strong community outreach that tried to meet the needs of every poor person that was that was there and some societies have more of that than we do we meet some of the needs but there are a lot of needs that are not met obviously and uh, the, the word in the Jewish tradition for generosity, for giving is sedaka and it's re- related etymologically to words like justice and righteousness and fairness. So you have a word like generosity very very centrally connected to the, some of the core uh, values of that tradition. In this case justice, just, uh, justice and righteousness and Something very similar in Christianity. The word that we have for that becomes charity uh, comes from the Latin, the word charitas, which is a translation from the Greek of the Greek word agape. Many of you know the word agape. It means unconditional love. So the word for generosity is linked to unconditional love. So you guys can see these words, generosity linked to justice, unconditional love, the deepest values of the culture and of the tradition. And in the um, Islamic tradition, there are five pillars of Islam. One of the five pillars is generosity and giving. And it's taken that uh, the uh, word for generosity is zakat. And this literally means purification. It's understood as the purification of greed and self-centeredness so very powerful quality and also um, very strong in indigenous cultures. You have the notion of the gift that keeps moving and I, I, I think I may have talked sometimes about my own experience going up to British Columbia uh, to a community halfway between Vancouver and uh, Alaska, a community called Bella Bella, a native friend or they would say First Nations friend invited me to a potlatch which is what was three days of giving gifts, of expressing generosity, very central uh, ritual in that culture. The Christian missionaries were apparently so horrified by people giving gifts to each other that they got the Canadian government to ban the potlatch, and they banned it from the 1880s till 1951. Crazy, right? It It was banned. Right? and, and you know, they were just thought that the gift giving where people were trying to show off how much they could give away. And they didn't like that. Right? And maybe they lost some connection with charitas you know, from their own tradition. And you know, it was a beautiful ceremony. It's very connected with forming greater bonds. Everyone was given a gift. I was given a gift as a visitor. And there was just universal gift giving and friendliness for three days. People stayed up till 3 a.m. giving gifts to others. It started at 3 p.m. and went till 3 a.m. and it went for three days like that. It was just total gift giving. Um, an East African proverb, you can g- share even if you have a little. Right? You can give even if you have a little. Desmond Tutu, Writes of a concept of Ubuntu, our humility and generosity come from realizing that we could not be alive nor could we accomplish anything without the support, love, and generosity of all the people who have helped us to become the people we are today. And the very word generosity in, comes in, in, uh, from the Latin, uh, related to words uh, like genius and generative. It has the, the sense of begetting or leading to wonderful things. That's where the, the, the etymology is. This is a, a Celtic uh, scholar, John O'Donohue, says, A generous heart is never lonesome. A generous heart has luck. The lonesomeness of contemporary life is partly due to the failure of generosity. So, generosity and gratitude itself are very connected with interconnection. And they're very, very closely related. Uh, I gave this quote last time from the Zen teacher Steve Stuckey, the spirit of giving is based on a feeling of gratitude, being deeply thankful for the ability to give and to receive, to be freely willing to participate in in this reciprocal turning of life energy. And yet, there are many ways that we're not so generous, you know, and again, in a culture which has greed as such a central value in many of our institutions, it's understandable that generosity wouldn't always be so evident and would be somewhat uh, uh, on the margins at times. Um, There was a study done of the level of giving of uh, 22 industrial countries to the poor people of the world. Uh, uh, Where do you think the United States rates among these 22 countries? Uh, It's last. It's last on the list. You know, again, we are mostly referring to country, you know, uh, northern European countries, uh, Japan and so forth. Uh, It's last on the list. Um, On a per capita basis, for every dollar that the U.S. gives to the world, the people of Norway give 70. Not, it's not on the front page, is it? Right? And so there is a, a lack of giving in that way as well. You know? And that, that should be shocking, right? You know, and it's connected with a lot of other um, social um, trends and so forth. I think of uh, generosity in the Buddhist tradition as being especially, it, it has the connotation also of material giving. But uh, Donna, her generosity I think most deeply is the offering of what's valuable in our own lives and what's taken to be most valuable are our beautiful qualities. In other words, we are most generous when we offer kindness, care, wisdom, perspective, equanimity, and so forth. And that, I think, is the understanding in the tradition. Very important place for material giving, but most deeply, we offer the qualities of our lives. It's very much like, there's a, a line in Walt Whitman's poem, A Song of Myself, where he says, Behold, I do not give lectures or a little bit of charity. When I give, I give myself right and so there is that sense and it's sometimes said that the greatest gift the greatest giving is the gift of Dharma or the gift of the teachings the understandings the the perspectives on on freedom and when, when you look to the uh, stories of the Buddha the Buddha in his past life was uh, often seen as developing generosity. There's one story where he was uh, a rabbit and he, um, he was a rabbit, but he was a very wise rabbit <laughs> and he was also a very compassionate rabbit. And in this story, these are in the so-called Jataka tales, he noticed a starving Brahmin, a starving member of the society, a starving uh, person. And he, at, according to the story, he jumped into the fire of the household so that he could be eaten by the Brahmin, And that was one of the ways he developed generosity in his, his life. This is, this, is from the, uh, uh, this is from a text on, on giving. When one gives an external object, one gives whatever is needed to whomever stands in need of it. And knowing by oneself that someone is in need of something, one gives it even unasked, much more when asked. One gives sufficiently when there is something to be given. One does not give because one expects something in return. And when there is not enough to give sufficiently to all, he gives evenly whatever can be shared. And so there's this sense that giving very crucial. And there's a, a very interesting uh, analysis in the text of the what we might call the near enemies of giving. And this would be something that when we study our own practice of giving, we look at sort of the ways that our giving may be distorted. You know, we have the teaching, some of you know the teaching about loving kindness or compassion having near enemies. There are ways that it looks like loving kindness or it looks like compassion, but it's a little bit off, right? So loving kindness, that would be a little bit off would be possessive, you know, possessive love. There's still love, but it's a little bit off. Or compassion, the understanding of compassion that's a little bit off would be pity. We're helping people, we're being compassionate, but there is maybe a sense of being better than. And in the text there are a lot of ways that we can uh, be giving and be a little bit off. Here is the list from one of the traditional texts. Ready? You can imagine what they would be. What what do you think some of them would be? Just speak up like a sentence. I'll repeat them. What? You could be proud of your, you give and you're proud of yourself. What's another? You get something back. You want to get something back, right? What else? What would be a distortion of giving? Helping those people. What? Helping those people. Helping only certain people. Or those people. Those people, right? You say, I help these people, but not these people, right? Giving to get fame, yeah. Giving to get a reputation. Giving, like, I will give this to you, you will do this for me. I will, a a a, a bargain or a uh, reciprocal giving, you know. I'll give you this if you give me this, right. So you're completely accurate, exactly. The list compiled on November 28th, 2018, matches very, very closely the list compiled 2,600 years ago. Here it is, Um, one gives with annoyance. Uh, One gives because of fear, okay? One gives in return for a favor done in the past. One gives in hope of getting a similar favor in the future. One gives because giving is considered good. One gives to gain a good reputation. One gives for, to become uh, uh, a favorite of the person you're giving to, and so forth. You give because it's a long-standing family tradition, but you're not really into it. (laughs) That was was named 2,600 years ago. So here is the full development of giving according to the tradition. These five, these five are a person of integrity's gifts. Which five? A person of integrity gives a gift with a sense of conviction, gives attentively, gives a gift at the right time. A person of integrity gives a gift with an empathetic heart. A person of integrity gives a gift without adversely affecting oneself or others. That's an interesting one, isn't it? That the giving, maybe we can stretch ourselves, but we we don't uh, harm ourselves. Really crucial aspect of giving. Isn't that interesting? That was there 2,600 years ago. And so the giving should be given without expectation, nor with attachment, and so forth. And so how do we practice uh, giving? What are some practices? And I think I'll end with this. What are some ways that we can actually uh, develop this sense of generosity uh, further? Um, again I think we partly want to develop ways of giving having generosity be stronger and also look for what gets in the way look for when there's greed or tightness or I don't want to give or so forth so what are some, what are some practices one might be to uh, do one generous act a day or maybe five generous acts a day and to make a commitment to that and they could be small, right? It could be a generous act, because partly a practice like this lets us see that you know almost every moment there's a chance to be generous. We can be generous by being empathic to someone or being compassionate. or just asking how you're doing in a way, it can be a generous act. So generosity isn't something necessarily big and splashy. So you can take on a practice five acts of generosity a day. Or if that feels like too much, start out with one. (laughs) Or three, right? And keep a generosity journal. One of the things that's interesting if you do a practice like that is you're actually looking during the day for ways to be generous. And it can really give a, a sense of the possibilities. And just the way generosity is this, it's a very wonderful daily life practice. It really, again, fills out our practice. We maybe too often think, you know, I even ask people, how's your practice going? And they say, and they talk about their half an hour a day on the cushion, doing formal meditation. And of course, what we're really pointing to is for a sense of practice to be there all the time, right? Moment to moment. Yeah. In some traditions, you can actually also bring practice into your sleep and dream life, so it's 24-7 that's advanced practice <laughs> maybe I'll talk about that sometime right but uh, we can have that sense of practice be more there moment to moment make a vow of generosity take it on for the next week how many of you might like to do a generosity practice in the next week take it on for the next week uh, make a vow of something like that to do three three generous acts a day and think about it you have to now again to do that we have to have the intention in the morning right really have to rem- What's going to help you remember to be generous or have that intention? You know, have your intentions in the morning. Maybe write it on your refrigerator. Write it on your hand. You know, have some way of remembering. Because we, we always say, our practice is not difficult. Remembering to do our practice, very difficult. Because mm-hmm. we get distracted, right? So what's going to help you remember? Um, another way to practice is to... Um, when any generous motive comes up, follow through on it. That's an interesting practice. Like if you notice yourself with a generous motive, follow through on it in some way. I, I do that practice personally. Like every, if I notice a generous impulse, I track it and I follow through on it. That's another uh, way of practice. Another way of practicing might, especially if you're near places where people are homeless, maybe to so bring food, carry it with you. That you can give away, carry things with you that you can give away. Um, I mean even to communicate with people who are homeless can be an act of generosity, not to look the other way, to take them as a human being, right, and to connect with them. That's an act of generosity, but one can also give materially, bring food with you, bring a certain amount of money with you, if this works for you, that you give away regularly when you're on the street. You know, of course there are Complications. We don't always know where the money goes, uh, but um, you might want to work with that. Um, some of you know there was a, a study done uh, in which uh, people were given, uh, I think, fifty dollars, and they had a control group, and the 20, the control group was asked spend the money on yourself. was told Spend the money on yourself, and they. Uh, the other group, the other half, were told, give the money away. And then they did a, a study afterwards. Um, you know, the psychologist had some measure of happiness, and they tested the two groups of people, and they found the people who gave the money away were much happier than the people who spent it on themselves. Isn't that interesting? Right, that there's something about giving, which is about interconnection. It's also about... Um, um, being, being willing to help that is really connected with a deep sense of happiness. I think we know that from our own experience at different times. Um, so you can bring things with you, bring money with you, bring food, do a certain number of generous uh, acts a day. It could also be just bring that intention to be generous into your work and it would have a particular meaning. It might be to listen to someone in need when you're a little tired, right? You know, it might be to stretch a little bit, to give, it could, again, it could be, in a sense, being compassionate, listening to someone who's having difficulty is an act of generosity. Being empathic is an act of generosity. You can have the generosity really guide your speech, right? To really, uh, you know, say, I will have the intention this next week to be generous when I'm speaking. You know, what would, see what that means, right? So it's, I think it's a really, it's a practice that we haven't developed to a high degree in the West. I think, I imagine, we all explore this and compile our results, well, we could publish it. <laughs> we could actually report, share it, because I think, you know, uh, to have a, you know communities really developing this and sharing what are alive practices, very interesting, right, creative. It can be really creative. And it can really, again, it can bring... You can see how generosity is deeply connected with mindfulness, really tracking what's there, what's there in the mind. When, am I, when I say I want to be generous, watch what comes up. It's connected with mindfulness. It's connected with caring. It's connected with wisdom because it's about interconnection. You can see that it's not a, a small thing. It's not like just occasionally giving a tip. That's not generosity. Right? Um, but it actually can be something that's quite profound. Let me finish we can open things up. This is uh, from the Buddha. What is the treasure of generosity? There is the case of a disciple, a practitioner, one's awareness cleansed of the stain of stinginess, living at home, freely generous, open-handed, delighted, delighting in being magnanimous, responsive to request, delighting in the distribution of alms. This is called the treasure of generosity. So very deep quality, not always understood, right? So maybe let's, let's have a little bit of a pause and just reflect uh, if you'd like to take on this practice, what might be a way to do this for yourself in the next week? What calls to you as a way to explore, experiment? And what's going to help you remember if you want to practice the next days, what helps you remember? So thank you for your very kind attention, very generous. And we have some time for any questions, reflections, stories. Uh, related to the talk, uh, practice of generosity, or something from your own exploration of gratitude. We have, uh, so we have, uh, might wait for the mic to come. Yeah, and say, let's say your name too. Is this open? Yeah. Yes. I needed to be taught uh, to avoid the judgment around the question of generosity, especially on the street. Yeah. I felt that I must know the, uh, the, the, the goodness of the person I might give to. Yeah. It's much, it's much better to give, not, not to that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, uh, very important observation, really. It's Bob, right? Yeah, that uh, really a noting, and this is something we can explore. When I give, do I only want to give to certain people, right? And do I have a certain attitude like uh you know you don't deserve generosity because you've been unskillful with your life choices or whatever whatever it might be Yeah, very so a lot of what we'll see is just noticing what comes up and again this isn't saying what to do one way or the other but it's really the the key is the exploration the noticing what's there in the mind so we have uh two more on this side you know Yeah. Well, in Washington, there are all sorts of people standing at street corners and red lights and so on carrying signs. And so in order to give, it, you have to plan ahead and you can decide whether you want to give each one a dollar or so you've got to go get a pile of dollar bills that you carry with you. Yeah. Or you, have give you, you have to plan ahead in order to really uh, go ahead and, and, and do that because uh, you'll have an excuse or you won't do it. And so it's a yeah, good yeah. way to start the day off. Take money yeah, else. so that's a practice that you do actually, plan ahead to be giving some. Yeah, and, and of course, um, you know, giving individually really crucial. What would it be like if there was more giving collectively as well? Yeah, thanks. So I have a question about give generosity, and I, I know somebody uses this word, with regard to the donations that she's made for certain candidates that are yeah. running. No, that is kind of you know because you are giving for a purpose. And you're not giving to someone else. You're giving to one sort yeah, yeah. Of for a purpose that little little closer that may or may not benefit you, and probably may or may. I mean, it's a very yeah. slippery slope. I can't I can't figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. What, what What do you find when you look at your own uh, mind? Well, you always think that you're doing something to help the betterment of. Your society, I think. I think that's what most people are thinking. But uh, you're definitely going opposite from the rest of the society that doesn't want to endorse that. So yeah. it's tricky. It's easy. So a lot of it's going to be in the motivation. You know, if I'm doing this because I sincerely think this will be helpful to bring about what certain values having more. Uh, influence that I think will be helpful. I think, I think that could really be um, very uh, much a matter of generosity, but you, you can see the very close connection between generosity and motivation. Yeah. yeah right. I think so. So, it'd be, so it's always looking at what the motivation is. Right. Yeah. And probably, you know, in that instance, the motivation could be very generous in some instances, and there might not be much generosity It could come out of aversion, right? It could come out of, I want to, you know, it could still be helpful, but I want to, you know, get that candidate out, (laughs) right? Right. could be a mix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing that I found was I used to hold um, generosity kind of as this, I would give to charities and we give a certain amount of our income but I realized close to home I was less generous with like, the people around me and the yeah. people that support me. Um, and now I, I just love the opportunity to buy someone lunch or a coffee. And yeah. um, I'm in a position to do that. And it's just nice to always remember like, how my generosity also the people I'm interacting with every day and not necess- uh, and in addition to being people on the street or charities and things like that. That was something I noticed about Yeah, really, yeah. Interesting noticing, I mean some of it, again, a lot of the uh, conditions are, are very much socially, what, um, developed, right? That, you know, like in some cultures, like in some of the cultures which are dominated by what we might call a gift economy, there's sometimes that phrase, you may have heard, the gift that keeps moving. There's a sense of, you know, uh, us being in a web and things coming and going. And um, that's one understanding. I think for many in our culture, it's how we have a sense of this is my pile, and I need my pile for security, right? And that's that's very strong in the culture, right? And so how do we go against that? How do we, first of all, we have to see that, and how do we have a sense of more being part of a, a flow of giving and receiving? It's hard also to have that if there's a lot of sense of scarcity. So it's complex, right? There are a lot of complexities here. Uh, But I think looking into, I noticed that for myself, um, there was an interesting shift when I started having my teaching. Right now, my teaching, probably most of my income, comes from what people freely offer, rather than receiving any stipend. And We would say it's receiving dana, or generosity. And I also give to my teachers and so forth. And I know my own perspective has shifted in, in that, you know, I receive some, I have more of a sense of things just moving and coming and going, right? Than, than a sense of, okay, let's bring in more for my pile so I'm secure, so I can do what I want, etc. And so it's, this runs deep, doesn't it? And then so experimenting just with being generous and, you know, around daily life, friends, it's beautiful practice, very yeah. You know, just to have that sense, I will be generous with the people I'm I'm with, and and again, it doesn't have to be material. It can be other forms of generosity. So thank you. That could be a very wonderful practice. Anyone compiling what we're mentioning? Yeah, please. Yeah. There's also uh, what I enjoy is spontaneous generosity. Yeah. In other words, if I mean I. I think there's an old the Native American tradition as I understood it was if someone admires something of yours you give it to them and I found that uh, that's a very rewarding generosity to do is to spontaneously give uh, to people. Or if you all of a sudden realize that somebody needs something in the moment it's very yeah, yeah. just that sense of spontaneous giving. I thought of one example from my own experience of uh, um, traveling with two friends uh, from one of them, Sulak uh, Sivaraksha from Thailand who is sort of a Buddhist activist in Thailand. has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. I was in a car with him and the other person was a friend named uh, Vietnamese a monk named Tikmin and uh uh we were be- i think we had someone was driving us we were I forget where we were going, but we were talking, and Sulak was talking about some of his work in Thailand and Tikmin who uh lived in the bay area uh, he said, Oh, very good work,' and he just reached and gave him a hundred dollars <laughs> i said whoa. <laughs> <laughs> i don't I don't think I've done that <laughs> but I thought it was just that. There's a need, oh, generosity arises, not holding tightly. Again, complexities, but very interesting. Yeah, please. Years and years ago, I I think it was a documentary on Mother Teresa. Yeah. And I was thinking about generosity where it's hardest. Yeah. 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 Go back to your country. Yeah. Where it's not exotic, you know, it's not an exotic giving. It's yeah. your country. The way you treat your people in your country, poverty is even harder there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think about maybe well, for me thinking in my practice of generosity, finding where it's hardest to do it, where it's not exotic, or maybe not obvious, right? Yeah. yeah where it's not obvious. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really bringing out that uh, dimension of inquiry, of looking carefully. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the uh, last one, we're getting close to our time. Yeah. I've lately been enjoying uh, generosity in terms of affirmation. Yeah. Okay, my, my grandson came into my college last night when I was having a meeting. And he apologized and said, oh, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Grandma, he's nine. So sorry to interrupt you, and I brought your mail. And so later I had a chance to say to him, you know, Ian, that was, that was so um, gracious the way you gave that to me. I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciated that and that you apologized. Mm-hmm. So just little affirmations, or if I have a, a great meal in a restaurant, um, making sure that I thank the chef. Expressing appreciation. Expressing appreci- yeah, Yeah, that is a beautiful form of generosity, and also very connected, you know. If you, I, I appreciate the, the practice that I've seen in some groups I've been part of. You know, a lot of, including groups which are very um, task-oriented, of leaving time to appreciate the other people in the group. Like, you know, a lot of groups, you know, got to be efficient, do this, do that. And, and if one can just uh, take 10 minutes in a two-hour meeting and sometimes express what you appreciate about the person next to you and go around in a circle, it changes a lot. It changes a beautiful, it's another form of generosity practice maybe in a group setting or an organizational setting. So again, we're, we're seeing a lot of different ways to practice this. And the key aspect, you know, it's the practices we mentioned are very, very simple, right? We're not. They don't require ten years of Buddhist study. You don't have, you know, don't have a prerequisite for this. They're very simple, but if you do them, they're very profound in their effects. If you keep doing them, it's really the essence of what we we do here—that we have a sense of practice, which is the conscious, intentional cultivation of certain qualities. That's really I mean, and and uh, and it has the fruit, and then it gets we take on one of the generosity practices it gets connected with our mindfulness, with our other qualities we're being, uh, that are being developed. And uh, connected with our inquiry, we are trying to see clearly and so forth. So, again, let me end just with inviting you to uh, reflect on your intention coming out of our time together. And we'll give some time next, next week. And then as we typically do, we end with a traditional practice called the dedication of merit, which is an intention practice, also very much a a generosity practice. We offer the benefits of our time together, our morning, our practice. We offer that to ourselves. We offer it to everyone in the hall, but then we offer the benefits of our time together out beyond this hall, ultimately to all beings. We offer the benefits of our practice to all beings, knowing that we are part of all beings. So, thank you for your generosity in listening, and uh, to be continued. Thank you.